0: Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and today I'm glad to welcome Bridget Delaney to the podcast. Bridget is a senior writer for Guardian Australia. She has lived and worked in Sydney, Melbourne, New York, London, Berlin and Barcelona. She's also the author of three books, the latest one being Well Mania, misadventures in the search for wellness. Now, in the book, she takes a look at the different trends of the wellness industry and the ways in which we seek out meaning or a sense of completion. She does it in good humor, too. And with the world we live in today, it's a worthy topic. Here's her story. In this book, you write a lot about trying to find a balance between wellness and also, on the other hand, total hedonism really Uh, how how is that going for you finding that balance?
1: Um, Like everyone I I can resist pretty much anything but temptation so (laughs) I'll lock myself away and, and do lots of exercise and eat really healthily and then it will come to Friday night and someone will suggest going down to the pub for just one drink and of course the rest of the weekend is a bit of a mess of pizza and margaritas so I do find it hard to maintain a healthy lifestyle all the time because I just get too bored.
0: <laughs> is that, that's what it is. It's boredom.
1: Boredom and also not wanting to miss out and um, being a bit spontaneous. But I've just noticed over the years that if I say yes too often, then the days of, you know, partying and um, eating what I want becoming increasingly kind of longer and the Healthy periods get shorter. So it's a matter of of trying to, to manage that.
0: Right, yeah. Uh, your book, Well Mania, it's a great title, I think, to kind of capture the, the state that we find ourselves in. Uh, mm. What are the things that you were seeing, the things that made you want to write this book in the first place?
1: One thing I noticed was after having traveled around the world for the last 15 years, and I really noticed a rise in... Um, spa culture retreats um wellness packages Mm -hmm. and it's become a multi-trillion dollar industry it's overtaken the pharmaceutical industry globally as as an earner so i was interested in the wellness industry as a massive complex of you know different um things like vitamin companies to yoga mat salespeople to uh people promoting diets they all come but under this umbrella, and I wanted to know what was driving that industry.
0: Right. So this big, giant, massive uh, amount of money is being made out there. What is it that they're tapping into, uh, or what is it about us or about this moment in time that makes it so appealing uh, at this time point? Uh, What what do you think? What is it about this moment in time that uh, that seems to uh, have us... uh, Suckers in some senses, but but makes us so uh, so desperate for wellness and maybe beyond that, easy money for the wellness industry.
1: So I, I think you um, you touched on it earlier when when we were talking about the, you know the fact that we can go out and um, you know drink, eat whatever we want. Food's getting cheaper. There's Uber Eats, all sorts of delivery services. So it's actually a lot easier to eat food that's not so great for us and in response you know there's this guilty feeling and this feeling of i need to have some more control over how i live Mm. and so the wellness industry whether it's a 30-day detox or meal replacement shakes or gym memberships gives us that sense of control back if we've perhaps had a wild weekend or we've been on holidays and you know, pigged out at the at the the buffet, but really, it's just a it's just a seesaw between you know excess and discipline.
0: So you were seeing all of these things going on, and your approach basically was: here's what I'm seeing. Here are all the ways that I'm told I can maybe make myself happier or more complete, and I'm going to try them all. Uh, is is that is that <laughs> the gist of it?
1: <laughs> it is the gist of it. I was um. I was also quite aware that a lot of the things I was trying, um, I'd be unable to integrate properly into my Mm. real life. So um, there are things like going on retreat, for example, to places like Bali, which is really expensive, but they they feed you really healthy vegan food and you do yoga every day and you feel great while you're there. But then you go back to your own life, uh, in my case in Sydney, and I just couldn't really... Get back to that happy place that I found in Bali. So right. I was doing all these things, but none of them really uh, kind of made the transition into my regular life. It's
0: it's hard. I mean, especially in a in a case like Bali, you're in a wholly different environment. People are making the foods for you. Uh, it's it's hard to then mm. go back, and it's not like the, the the chefs and the the cooking team is coming back with you to Sydney to to keep on making your meals. <laughs>
1: If if I had um unlimited money they they probably would. Right. And that's the thing, you know we we um we think oh I just want to well this is what I think um you know I'd love to I'd love to drop a dress size or two but I want to do it now. You know I don't want to spend a year slowly losing weight or slowly becoming healthier. You know there's there might be something that's coming up like a wedding and mm-hmm. I'll panic. And so this is where all these products that the wellness industry touts come in, you know, they they say if you do this for this amount of time you will get this result and that's what makes it very appealing. But, you know, as we've seen it in so much research, people who do these short term things will find that they don't get long term results and they often end up in a worse place than when they started.
0: Right. Yeah. So you break the book down basically into three sections. The holy trinity, if you will, of the wellness industry. There's nutrition, uh, exercise, and then spirituality. Does that, that sound like a good encapsulation of, of things?
1: Yes, it certainly does.
0: So being a journalist yourself, how on board were you that things were going to turn out as you've been promised, as that, that everything was going to go according to the sales pitches that are accompanied with each of these things?
2: I
1: think the sales pitches don't necessarily tell you how hard a lot of these things really are to, to do. So one of the um, things I did in the book was a, a very extreme detox
2: mm-hmm.
1: of 101 days. And for the first two weeks, I had absolutely no food. And so the sales pitch just says, you'll be um, treated with Chinese herbs that will keep you feeling full and give you all the energy and nutrients that you need. And then you actually experience the detox and it's horrendous. It's <laughs> you know, I barely get out of bed. It was, you know, I couldn't work. Um, I was having terrible dreams. I smelt bad. You know, I was very lonely because I couldn't go out and socialize with people where there was food or drink. Um, so it was very isolating. And, uh, you know, the sales pitch was the, these testimonials of before and after of people who looked amazing yeah, but they did talk about the pain.
0: Mm. This is the one that uh, that uh, your prime minister Malcolm Turnbull credits with uh, with yes. losing weight. Yeah,
1: yeah. He uh, there's a thing in Australia. I'm not sure if it happens um, in Canada, where if someone is running for prime minister, immediately they they lose a lot of weight and start a, a you know a fitness regime. <laughs> I think it's kind of signalling that they're fit enough for the job and they've got discipline to maintain uh, okay. a diet.
0: That's a that's a, an Australian uh, tradition of sorts.
1: It is an Australian tradition, <laughs> but um, I mean, you guys have some pretty good po- good looking politicians, so you know maybe it's not needed in Canada. I,
0: I think I think our, our current prime minister was already uh, was already as fit as he currently is before before starting. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, now so so this this diet that you go on the extreme one. I mean, you're supposed to be drinking. It's probably generous to call it tea, but yeah, this blend of herbs. Uh, what, is, what does it taste like?
1: So it tastes like, I'm not sure if you've ever been um, at a party very late at night and gone to pick up a beer and take a swig and there's a cigarette butt that's floating uh, in the, the two inches of beer in the bottom of the, the bottle. And that's what those herbs tasted like. They were absolutely disgusting. Yeah. So um, I had to hold my nose while I drank them. They had to be warmed up. Um, and they had a they were kind of like a thick black viscous substance uh, with this terrible smell and an awful taste, but they contained a small amount of calories that gave me some energy.
0: What was the worst of it in the coming weeks as you were as you were going through with this?
1: I think the worst was i mean obviously the hunger was very bad, um but also the boredom. You don't realize that when you take out meals so breakfast, lunch, and dinner, plus snacks plus coffees. Plus all the socializing and preparation that goes into a meal and thinking about it. Hmm. When you remove all of that, there's a lot of dead time. And whilst I, I could have been volunteering for the homeless or writing a book, right. um, I was actually too weak to, to really leave the house. So I was bored, but I was also very low energy.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of like the same thing when somebody decides that they're going to take a break from drinking uh, and you realize just how many <laughs> of our social interactions revolve around drinks with people. Mm. Uh, I imagine mm. food is only more so.
1: Food's more so and, and food's also. I mean, I think it's good to have a break from drinking, but um you know, to have a break completely from food is is a bit more radical. Um mm-hmm. I did go and see my my doctor about the fast and he said if anything, it would give me more empathy for people in other cultures or countries that that don't have enough to eat. So right. from a moral point of view, he said it was a, a worthy pursuit.
0: Right. So uh, how hard is it for, for somebody to follow through on a diet like this? I mean, they, they claim, right, that uh, this was the one that I believe claims that if you follow through with this, you can eat whatever you want for the rest of your life and not be affected.
1: Um, that hasn't been the case for me. Um, I didn't last (laughs) the whole 101 days. Um, I lasted about 89 days. Mm -hmm. Um, And I lost lost 14 kilograms. I'm not sure what the equivalent in pounds is, but it was a significant amount of weight, Mm -hmm. which I then put all of it back on plus more as soon as I started eating again. So that's the problem with extreme diets is that you get these quick results, but you can't maintain a near- starvation diet for yeah. you know a very long.
0: What was the the food that you were consistently craving uh, while going through with this diet?
1: It was very a uh, kind of Americana um, greasy uh, fried chicken pizza, yeah. hot chips, cans of coke you know I thought I would be craving clean food like I thought I'd be huh. craving vegetables. But I was actually craving, uh, you know, the worst types of food. Once yeah. I followed on, I think it was about day eight. I followed a, a a man carrying a box of pizza about eight blocks out of my way, because the smell <laughs> was just so enticing that um, that I I yeah, it was like a, it just hooked me in. So um yeah, it's funny what you crave.
0: Yeah. So that was the that's that was the nutrition part, or the, or the most extreme of the nutrition part uh, mm-hmm. of the book. Uh, now, next you get into yoga, and yoga obviously something a lot of people do, or if not yoga, then pilates or some other form of exercise.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, how how did that go for you, and what caught your interest about yoga compared to some other form of exercise?
1: Um. So in Sydney, yoga is massive, and and it's become particularly for women. It's become you know, something that they'll invest a lot of money in in terms of the clothing. So there's particular brands that are very expensive right. um, of leggings and tops and um, memberships expensive. And uh, recently I was in Canada and it's the same thing there, particularly in um, Vancouver. Yeah. there's a big yoga scene. Yeah. Uh, so I was interested because that was the kind of burgeoning wellness trend. And I wanted to know what it was about yoga that was so appealing and what I found was that it gave people a sense of community. So often in the yoga classes, people started hanging out afterwards and having cups of tea and friendships formed. But also in a lot of yoga classes, there's a, this thing that I call the nugget of truth, which is this really sort of spirituality light thing that teachers drop into classes. They might read a bit of Sanskrit or a poem or um, a little homily that that, that says you know, be kinder to people when you see them on the bus. And that kind of fascinated me because I thought, what is it about how we live now that means that we we crave that sort of spiritual instruction in our exercise?
0: And what do you think? What, you, what is it about us uh, that, that has us uh, looking for that?
1: Well, I think we're more atheists than we've ever been. Um, certainly statistics in Australia show that particularly young people are leaving organized religion in droves. Yet there's still a real meaning gap. There's still a sense of wanting a bit more than just work and home and going out and that kind of hedonic treadmill. Yeah. And so if you find like a, a tiny bit of spirituality in a yoga class, then that can be very, very attractive for someone that doesn't have any kind of spiritual basis
0: sure and then and then the community aspect too I would think uh, of le- leaving a, a larger community where you're you're interacting with people you know who are of all different generations or, or, or around you and then finding something like that again in the yoga class
1: it's particularly it's a community that isn't focused around alcohol or drinking mm. um, so for a lot of millennials you know the the dr- drinking rates are actually dropping and there is a real need to socialise somewhere and make connections where you're not necessarily having to be really drunk in order to to partake.
0: Mm-hmm. And and so, how did it go for you to to uh, take on yoga? What were the sorts of things that you were curious about when you took it up yourself? Whether you would see changes or or what were you trying to keep tabs on as you were going through with
1: it? Um. So I was trying to basically just get from beginner, where I'd been for fifteen years. I'd been going to beginner classes and I'd never progressed and that's because I wasn't doing it that regularly but I just thought maybe I don't have one of those yoga bodies you know, maybe um I'm like a rusty hinge that will only go so far <laughs> so I thought if I did it every single day um and do hard classes hard 90 minute vinyasa classes you know, six days a week yeah. plus meditated plus journaled Plus, joined one of these communities. Would I actually improve? And if I improved, would it improve my life?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it became like a full-time job going to these these classes. Um, and at the start, it was really hard. But I mean, the thing i mean I'm in my early forties, and the thing I found was that your body actually is quite adaptable. And if you do something every day and don't give up, it's remarkable how it can. Actually improve quite quickly. Uh So things that I had not been able to do in that 15-year period Suddenly they were becoming a lot easier Um, You know my skin became better. I I felt a lot more I don't know just alive however, you know once again, it's very hard to integrate That sort of large amount of exercise into a normal life where you're working and running around and traveling a lot so I'm now back at the back of the beginners class. <laughs> well,
0: well, yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, it's a uh, that's a big time commitment if you're doing daily classes and and trying to meditate and and journal on top of that. that that's a lot of time out of a day uh, to, to try it's and find the space well. for.
1: This is why Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't act anymore because <laughs> being well is a full time job.
0: Right, right, right. Uh, the other the other part I find interesting about yoga uh, and along with yoga uh, the 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 meditation aspect that comes with it I think there's you know a lot to be made about stillness and that's probably one of the hardest things to find these days when we're connected all the time to our phones and devices and I think journalists more than most people uh, you know you're constantly refreshing uh, news feeds and and reading up on you know half a dozen different newspapers or more and re-scrolling. Through Twitter, uh, how do you find that? How do you how do you find stillness uh, in the world that we live in today?
1: Well, it's particularly difficult since Trump's come in and the news cycle has really sped up. Mm-hmm. So, um, the time zone being what it is in Australia, we often late at night Trump will will wake up and start tweeting, Right. and so it's <laughs> hard to then go to sleep. Um, so it's not just politics; it, it's it's everything. Like I've, you know, I've got group chats going, I've got WhatsApp friends, I've got notifications pinging on Messenger, and that's quite normal. A lot of people have numerous accounts um, where they connect with different people, and often replying to messages can seem like a, a full-time job. Mm. Uh, we've we've got to remember though that this technology, so smartphones, have really only been around in their current form a bit over 10 years so the first kind of the first lot came out around 2007 right so we're definitely not evolved to really cope with this technology and one of the big things that has been a casualty has been as you said stillness our ability to be quiet with our thoughts I mean what did we used to do when we were on public transport or waiting for someone for an appointment like where did we where was our attention then? You know, we, we, we didn't have phones, so we probably just sat there quietly, right. um, which is something we don't do anymore.
0: The other part about the phones that, that I find fascinating is, uh, and you mentioned this in your book, is just how effective they are at taking us away from ourselves. Uh, you write that if mm. there's anywhere a lot of us don't want to be, it's with ourselves. Uh, how do you find <laughs> that that ties into what you're, you were seeing more broadly with the wellness industry?
1: So there's a huge um, spike in anxiety which um, I'm writing about at the moment which is particularly young people feeling very unsettled, very unsafe in the world and part of that is this constant stimulation that we're getting from technology and an inability to be quiet, to be still and to be alone. And the only way to really start to counter that is to have periods of time with ourselves, without devices. And for a lot of people, that makes them very uncomfortable because they then start thinking and they might start thinking negative thoughts. So mm. to reach for a phone is, is, a, is a circuit breaker in that process, but we've got to learn other ways of breaking the circuit.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's a very difficult thing to do. Mm. You know, there's a, a, a part... During this book where you start to question whether we're not just chasing after something that doesn't exist, I think, uh, as, as you're going through with, with the dieting and with the yoga and you're seeing, you know, there's a certain group of people, maybe the yoga instructors would be a good example of that. The the ones that seem like, well, is it just like it's just for these sort of uh, very specific hyper athletic human beings and then the rest of us are, are doomed to kind of imitate what they're doing? Uh, but the more important question, I think, is uh, will wellness make us happy? Can you tell me more about mm. that?
1: Um, well, we're, this is what we're sold. We're sold the notion that wellness will make us happy if we're you know, feeling sluggish or overweight or depleted or we have a lack of concentration. If we buy something that will make us more well, then our lives will be improved. Mm-hmm. however, the people that I met on doing this book that had the most kind of healthy outlook and also the most healthy lives were people that lived fairly consistently so there were people that did physical work or exercise every day they ate um, good food in moderation that was relatively close to the source but they didn't get hung up on mm-hmm. food miles or you know
2: yeah. how
1: pure it was they drank, but in moderation. I mean, it's very boring. But the, you know, the kind of well and well-adjusted people are the people that just do kind of what our grandparents did, you know, a few generations ago. Um, you know, get a decent amount of sleep, spend time with your family and friends, yeah, um, spend time outside. Yeah, so, get off social media.
0: So, so what you're saying is, wellness is boring.
1: Uh, true, wellness is boring. Um, <laughs> the packaged wellness that we're sold is, is, um, you yeah, know, it's dramatic and exciting, but it's not. You know, we're not really able to integrate a 14 day Ayurvedic yoga retreat into uh, you know our normal working lives. Right. We have to make smaller changes that are less exciting that are going to take longer to bear fruit ultimately, will I think make us weller, mm. if that is a word, <laughs> more the, well.
0: <laughs> uh, those retreats are are interesting too, uh, because they are such a draw for people these days. And and you see yoga mm. retreats or wellness retreats of all kinds. Uh, you certainly went through uh, a few of them on your on your well in the course of writing your book, whether it was places where people are taking vows of silence or or other places where you're told to basically bare your soul to the people around you. uh, Mm. (laughs) What were you hoping to find in these trips or or what were you curious about uh, investigating uh, with these kinds of places?
1: I'm a huge fan of retreats actually, because I think they do take us out of our normal lives and they make us reflect on where we're at and where we want to go. So they're a really good way of resetting um, and reflecting, which is so necessary um, I, I've met a lot of really interesting people at them though, because often people will go to re- a retreat at a time of crisis or after a crisis when they need to really reassess. Mm-hmm. So you hear some amazing stories, uh, of, and, uh, amazing stories of resilience of people that have lost everything and are regrouping and trying to find a different way to live. And that includes retreats from all spiritual traditions. I went to Buddhist ones, and Catholic ones, and Anglican ones, and they pretty much are all the same. Lots of silence, lots of rest, mm-hmm. um, and lots of kind of looking inwards.
0: Now, this being part of the the wellness industry more broadly, are these the sorts of things that somebody can go to one and and get you know get what they're looking for, or do you tend to start seeing people come back for more and more retreats uh, that it becomes sort of a cyclical thing where you need to go back for another one as soon as the effects of the last one have worn off.
1: I think throughout time, I mean, retreats that have been part of spiritual traditions are an annual thing. So I'm Catholic, but definitely in the Catholic tradition, you know, you would go on retreat maybe twice a year. You go around like sort of Lent um, just before Easter, and you might go, you know, before Christmas. So they're, they're things that, are, you know, human beings have been doing for a very long time. Going once isn't necessarily going to fix um, your problems. Patterns repeat themselves and are entrenched. Um, I tend to go on retreat once a year, um, mm-hmm. a silent one for about three or four days just to, just to kind of reset for the year ahead. But what I don't like are the retreats that promise you that... If you spend, you know, thousands of dollars and you go to this place, then you won't need to go back again and everything will be okay when you go home. Mm. And those are the places that um, I'm a bit more cynical about. They're kind of less the um, religious-based retreats and more the um, very sort of high-end wellness retreats.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, And that that part is interesting. Uh, Some of these wellness retreats and it's not you know, it's not every retreat, but there is a a certain subset of uh, this sort of broad spectrum of offerings that you can go to where you're going to these very extravagant resort like settings that are in the middle of developing countries. And I think there's something a Mm. bit weird about that. I mean, you write about this, too, being isolated in these sort of fantasy realms of luxury. Uh, when everything around it is in a much different sort of uh, setting, uh, what mm. what's going on in those places?
1: Well, a lot of white privilege um, for <laughs> a start. There's, I mean, I'm a bit I'm a bit conflicted about these retreats. On the one hand, they do provide employment for people in developing countries, so mm-hmm. they're the source of jobs. But on the other hand, there's a real master servant vibe to them, mm. um, and You'll have like a massage therapist, you'll have people cleaning a room, you'll have, you know, people sweeping up leaves behind you as you walk down the path. There's a lot of, um, you know, this being pampered and not necessarily having to pay a huge amount for it because wages are quite low. So it creates this weirdly colonial vibe. Um, I think if you are wanting to go on retreat, what I recommend is, finding a retreat where there's some sort of, I mean, there's a lot of not-for-profit retreats where the money you spend goes back into the community where the retreat's held. So there's one that I went to in Sri Lanka where it's expensive, but the money then funds a medical clinic. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, they're, they're not, you know, sort of turning this pristine environment into sort of a very ugly five-star hotel and flying people in you know it's it's more integrated
0: right and then and then to the same effect i think uh it's not just the retreats that are guilty of this but resorts too we we do the same thing mm-hmm. all over the world where where people will go mm-hmm. to these resorts in in places because they're cheap uh, it's cheaper to go there than to to go to a resort in your own country uh at least if yes. you're from a place you're like treat- australia or canada yeah
1: yeah and you're treated very you're treated like royalty there and yeah it it can be problematic
0: Mm, mm -hmm. probably the most memorable part at least for me reading about your exploration into the spirituality part of the wellness industry you go on this retreat called path of love uh and and that was probably the most intensive one of them all uh what what is path of love
1: so it's a it's a self-development retreat which i think is a global thing um and they're really interesting they um they're quite confronting. You you are put into small groups. You've got a hand in your phone. And often the people that go there have had quite severe trauma. There was a number of survivors of childhood sexual abuse in, um, in my group, um, people that had had you know, terrible sort of relationship breakdowns. And um, it uses a bit of Jungian psychology where in front of the group you had to tell them what your biggest shame was. There was... Primal scream therapy. Um, there was hitting things with rubber bats. Um, there was lots of yelling, and uh, yeah, it was definitely the most intense week of my life.
0: Uh, how did how did it all go? I mean, it's it, uh, I, I can't. I've never been in a place where people are, are screaming and swinging bats before. Uh, but, but uh, did. What, what was the the feeling like you know from day one to uh, how long how long was this retreat is it a week long is it longer it, it, was,
2: a,
1: it was a week and yeah. um, so I recommend if people are interested there's a great Netflix documentary called Wild Wild Country yeah about Osho and it's it's got a similar vibe to that um, so people from that um, from from that time, went on to to be involved with Path of Love. So they are they do have a relationship. Mm. Um, it look initially I was horrified and felt very confronted by by people screaming. You know when when people scream in close proximity, it's very hard to leave them alone, mm-hmm. particularly if they're screaming and crying. There's an impulse to comfort. But one of the the theories of this retreat was that. We hold trauma in the body, and if you can scream it out and hit it out and dance it out um, and cry it out, then it will leave you and then that will allow you to to heal. Um, And I did see some remarkable transformations over the week that I was there. So people who came in, you know, that looked like they were carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders, by the end of the week, they had, you know, they were so much lighter, um, so much happier, and um there were some things that I learned about myself in that retreat that were you know really for me really life changing so <laughs> unexpectedly so
0: so you you uh you would consider going back again or did it no, you... <laughs> <no. laughs> It's it
1: was ex- it took me about 3 months to recover from it I mean oh, first wow. of all it, cuz it's so physical it's very physical you're moving all the time and screaming and hitting things yeah. but also, people in the group are confronting you with with issues that you might have, and so it wasn't you know you wouldn't do it lightly it was It was very hard going and one of the organizers said it's it's the equivalent of having twenty years of therapy in a in a week right um, yeah <laughs> so I wouldn't be going back in a hurry <laughs> you
0: know if, if there's one thing I think made clear both by your book and just in, in the conversation we've had so far it's it's how many ways that wellness is packaged and sold, and I think about things like in that retreat where, uh, where there are claims that you know you're storing trauma in certain parts of the body, or other claims uh, through exercises where you, they talk about yoga moves that are supposed to unblock certain emotional elements. Uh, how much of how much of all this is BS, and how much is worth keeping and, and hanging on to? How much is actually helpful, or how much is just placebo? Uh, I don't know if that's an easy question to answer, but. But what's what's worth not... hanging on to, and what's uh, <laughs> what what's just something to disregard?
1: Well, what's, what was really interesting doing this book was the huge gap, particularly with the detox that we talked about earlier,
0: mm-hmm. between
1: the science and what what wellness advocates actually say. So the science will say one this fast is doing one thing, but um, on wellness blogs, you know, they say, oh, you're releasing toxins. And science will say, well, your lungs and your liver and your kidneys, they they release the toxins. You know, going on some weird detox is not going to do that for you. So one of the challenges with the wellness industry is to sort out, you know, what's real, what's, what's something that is actually helpful, and what's something that um, is complete BS. Mm. So um, look, in terms of st- storing trauma in the body, I don't know if that's true or not. I just know that people who went to this program did feel and look a lot freer afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, But whether or not that was because they talked about it with other people or they got stuff off their chest or they danced it out, impossible to know. Right. Um, There has been a case in Australia uh, recently which has been really worrying, which is a a blogger called Belle Gibson who... Um, claimed to cure her own brain cancer by eating organic food and, and vegetables mm. she did a book with penguin called the whole pantry and she had a huge a um, huge number of people on instagram that followed her
2: mm-hmm. including
1: people with quite serious cancer and it turns out that she didn't have cancer at all and the whole thing was a hoax and she's now been prosecuted and her books been withdrawn from sale mm-hmm. and i think that's where the wellness industry has its dark side when you've got people who are desperate for some sort of answer or a cure or a remedy that doesn't involve chemotherapy or drugs. Right. Then you have someone come along and exploit that need.
0: Right. Uh, I feel like along those lines, uh, and maybe this is going to make my views on Gwyneth Paltrow clear, (laughs) but I feel like she could have been very clearly a part of the book too, uh, being such a a kind of essential part of, of uh, the wellness industry, or one of the biggest earners from the wellness industry, mm. uh, w- mm. was there a decision there not to not to cover some of that in your book of of trying out some of the things that that she's uh, packaged and sold along the years, or was it? Does it just you were interested in other things more?
1: Uh, I was interested in other things. I mean, some of the things that um, so when I was doing the book, Gwyneth Paltrow wasn't as big. So I wrote it mm. a year and a half ago. She's really gained critical mass in the last, I'd say, year, um, and I'm really surprised that that she is as credible as she is, particularly with things like I don't know, vaginal steaming, which sounds like a, a bit dangerous. <laughs> um, so I really had enough material without, um, you know, going hard on on Gwyneth. And yeah. also, there's a lot of People that have, have delved into Goop, most recently a fabulous piece in the New York Times um, about spending an evening with, with Gwyneth and um, trying to sort of unpack why what it is about her that makes other women want to emulate her. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: maybe my next book will be on Goop. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. You know, in all this time, I mean, a book is a significant undertaking. It, it takes time to, to put this something like this together. I, I'm sure you spent lots and lots of time looking at the ways that we try to achieve wellness. Uh, what have you taken away from all of your time spent devoted to this? Uh, the things that you've learned about maybe what it means about us or, or the things that are worth mm-hmm. hanging on to uh, about the way that we do pursue wellness and how we might actually find it?
1: So um, I'm not... I, I'm not this hugely well person. I'm not, you know, this stick-thin person walking around being well now that I've researched the industry. I'm just as indulgent and as um, weak when it comes to certain foods and drinks as other people and my discipline's all over the place. Um, but I I guess I didn't find out – I found out a lot about wellness but I also found out a lot about at this moment in time why it is we want these things. You know, what is it about modern life that makes us crave um, the wellness industry? And it's because there's so much going on at the moment that feels um, impure and that we don't have control and we're mm-hmm. so busy. Um, we don't have a, you know, a lot of people don't have a Sabbath or a day where they switch off. Um, so from a kind of purely anthropological perspective, it was a really, it was a really interesting book to write.
0: Right, I think part and parcel with that is this idea, as you lose control over your surroundings, well, the one thing you still hold control over is yourself and your own actions. I know that's a big mm-hmm. school of thought for some that that you know the way to help mm. the world is to help yourself. But I think you take a bit of a different uh, approach towards the end of your book and saying, well, maybe it's time that we stop focusing on ourselves and start focusing on helping each other. Um, we,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean the wellness the wellness industry. Really uh, targets people as individuals. So it's what can you do to to make your body the best body and to, you know, to make yourself the best version of you. And I think that's increasingly making us very isolated, very lonely, um, and ultimately unhappier. Whereas if you go back to the old days of eating around a table together, not having to cook a separate meal because. You know, you, you're no no carb, low carb, keto, gluten intolerant, um, or in my case, not sharing meals with anyone because I was fasting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we we have to kind of, I think, return to a more communal way of living our lives, and um, kind of nothing feels as good as, as helping other people and and um, you know, giving back.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It uh, it's. It seems like it's a a long way for us to get to that point, but maybe that'll come. <laughs> if, uh, um, if
1: I could go back to 2007 and just you know make sure that like the iPhone never got invented and you know a whole <laughs> would be amazing. There'd be it would be a different world.
0: Right, uh, Fritz, is there Anything else that you want to share from uh, from things that you found interesting about this whole this whole uh, exploration or or other things? Um, that, uh, that I haven't asked you yet that you still want to add?
1: Well, I guess the one thing I'd like to add is um, I sometimes get asked out of all the things you tried what's the thing that has stuck with you and I would have to say it's meditation um, and that's for a few reasons. One is uh, once you learn a technique that works for you it's completely free it's portable you can, you can do it wherever you are um, as long as you have a Somewhere to sit. Um, you could even do it standing or walking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's it's a it, it's a, has a very long tradition. Um, it's a great way of stilling the mind and, and creating some peace and quiet around yourself. And you're not buying into the wellness industrial complex. You're not spending a fortune to get this this hit of something. Right. Um, it doesn't cost anything. So it's great.
0: They they haven't quite found a way to package and sell it just yet.
1: Ah, uh, <laughs> they, they are finding ways. There's apps. there's all sorts of things. But you don't need that. You can just do it on your own,
0: right. Yeah. well, thanks so much. this was this was great talking to you. I appreciate it,
1: thanks, Martin. Really appreciate it.
0: That's it for the show. Thanks for listening and I hope you liked it. If you want to read Bridget's writing, her book is called Well Mania. It's out now. If you enjoyed the show, you can do me a favor. Hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review. And most of all, pass it on to someone else you think might like it. If you want to get in touch, a few ways you can. You can email me at storyuntoldpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow along on Facebook at facebook.com slash storyuntoldpodcast or find me on Twitter at Martin underscore Baumann. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman and this was a story untold. See you next time.